Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
know you're in here. Hiding in one of your pet mortals you've become so accustomed to. Did you think we wouldn't find you? That he wouldn't find you? You are his, now and forever. There is no place on this earth, this universe, you can hide where he won't find you. He sees you through every shadow, crack, and window of blackness that breaches this rotting box of a world. Did you really think this would work? That jumping body to body, skin bag to skin bag, would keep you from his grasp? His rich transcendence time and space, Hesperius. You are always just a shade away from his clasping grip. Come out! Ah, but that's where you're wrong, Darkling. His dominion here is sparse. The earth and darkness so far removed from his ebon bloodline that it has no memory of its forebear. No, I'm afraid his reach here is stunted, his reign confined to that little fiefdom of darkness in the corner of the universe. Impudent beast, your rabid dog who slipped his leash. We are the walking dark, Hesperius, in the Night Father's hands. Then I'm afraid, little shadow, I will have to tear you off. You did better than some of the others, little Darkling. You managed to ruin my skin suit. Oh well, I'll just have to find another. <laughs> Wesley awoke in a cold sweat, which was happening all too often now. He'd had another dream, a memory, of Hesperius's. This time, he was in conflict with another creature, something that wished to capture him and bring him back to the master he'd been spending so many years avoiding. How long has Hesperius been on the run? How many poor souls had he possessed to carry out his misdeeds? He didn't have to wait long to get his answer. More than your petty ape brain can count. Ah. Oh. Do you feel bad for them, little Wesley? <laughs> know that they all screamed into the abyss as I took over their frail little bodies. But not before I made them watch as I tore apart their loved ones and carved a swath through their beloved peers. And then, when that soul was all used up, withered like a rotten turnip, I'd don another one of your kind like a new suit and do it all over again. <laughs> Wesley sometimes forgot how deplorable the thing in his head was. It had been there for so long that he had almost become accustomed to its sinister nature. The revelation disturbed him that he could acclimate to such heinousness. But such was human nature, he guessed. Wesley rose from his bed, a comfy thing composed of a metal frame and soft silken blankets. His room was quite posh in an alien sort of way. Archways punctuated the apartment ornate floral designs decorating their curves. A black marble fireplace protruded from the west wall, a fire mysteriously burning inside it without the assistance of kindling. Like the rest of the house, the walls were festooned with macabre paintings, images rendered from the imagination of unearthly things. They were at once beautiful and horrible, depictions of an extraordinary nightmare. 
The rest of the place was architecturally elegant, but in an engineering way rather than aesthetic. No space was wasted. The corners and edges were perfectly symmetrical. Angles were honed to mathematical perfection. And even the floor displayed a kind of sacred geometry, shapes and symbols engraved into its polished surface. He wasn't sure what they meant, but he felt a sort of presence about them, an aura. He shook the feeling, went into the bathroom, disrobed, and showered. At least, he initially thought it was a shower. When he turned the handle, a bluish vapor rose up from a ceramic floor, wrapping him in its wispy fingers. Wesley could feel the dirt and mire dissolve from his skin, the mist cleansing his body, clearing out his pores. He imagined water wouldn't go well with the Belfine's more electrical accoutrements. Wesley put his clothes on and got ready for the day's crowded schedule. They would be perusing the Belfine's library and labs, if they could be defined that way. It was all at the behest of Moffat. What was he up to? He'd been acting a bit off these last couple of days. They were subtle things, but noticeable. Something was always going on behind his eyes, a kind of secret calculus. It was the way he looked at everyone like chess pieces, stories wrapped in flesh and bone that he could move around a board. Thus far, it was to the group's benefit, or perhaps to his benefit. Hesperius made sure he realized the two were not mutually exclusive. If a Moffat's motives benefit anyone else but them, it's merely happenstance, little Wesley. Yeah, well, you're just as untrustworthy, aren't you? I imagine anything you do that benefits me is just happenstance. No need to deny it. You've pretty much admitted it. I won't deny that, but we are tethered. What benefits me inevitably benefits you. But yes, little Wesley, if I had the choice, I would shed you like the skin of a snake, discard your wet flaps of flesh to the fire, and then piss on it for good measure. <laughs> but you seem to think I base my opinion of the Moffat solely on one experience. But you forget how long I've been around, Wesley. I've watched the Moffats and those accursed Kerwins topple empires, bring kings to their knees, alter the course of history. And it was never to anyone else's benefit but their own. Of course, I don't begrudge them that. After all, I would do the same. But I am wise enough, experienced enough, to know that everyone else will pay the price whenever a Moffat is involved. Unless, of course, you make them pay it first. I'm not killing him, Hesperius, if that's what you're getting at. I, how many fucking times do I have to tell you? You eventually won't have a choice, little Wesley. There will come a point where it will be either him or you and your friends. And believe me... He will be prepared for that moment. And if you listen to me, so will we. Wesley stayed silent, a part of him believing the wretched thing. Hesperius receded back into his pocket of mental darkness, smitten with his ability to influence Wesley's thoughts, if only slightly. Before Wesley could open the door, it rattled with a firm knock. Wesley opened it. It was Moffat. Good morning, Dr. Morrigan. Are you ready for a little field trip? I imagine someone with your background would jump at the chance to see such marvels of technology. Why are you so interested in this, Moffat? You've never shown any interest in such things before. Oh, must we do this again, Dr. Morrigan? As I stated before, 
If we are to understand the Belphine, we must understand their way of life, and their technological advancements heavily figure into that. How are you not understanding this? If it came from someone else, I would understand. But, but, but you always have an angle. Everything is a play, a step on a path only you can see. You've been different these last few days. I, I know you've tried hiding it, but I've noticed. Something is going on, and you won't tell us. You're a man of science, a champion of logic, yes? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Let's say you're right, Dr. Morgan, that I can access knowledge you do not. And let's say this privileged vantage I've been given is informative, but oh so fragile. The slightest perturbation and it just poof, changes. You know, butterfly wings and all that. Now, say I knew that divulging that information could drastically change the outcome to a more undesirable one. Still, I would satisfy the party to whom I revealed the information, even though that information would prove harmful to the interested party. What is the right choice in that scenario? What is the answer to this moral conundrum? Do I tell the interested party what I know for the sake of transparency, even though I know doing so could potentially harm them? Or do I withhold that information from them, and court their ire, but secure their safety? He's trying to confuse the issue with his wordsmithing. Trying to make it seem like he's trying to save you. Don't fall for it. He's a fucking liar. I've heard this all before, Moffat. I don't need a lesson in chaos theory and moral relativism. Of course. It's a moot point anyway, because I don't know anything beyond what I've already told you. Shall we go? The two exchanged a lasting glare, the smug smile on Moffat's face seemingly fixed as if carved in relief. Finally, the two went down the spiraling staircase meeting with a patient, Vorin and Salvatore. Was it not fucking amazing to sleep in a bed again? I mean, that, that shower doohickey, that shit was wild. It was like getting a sponge bath by ghosts without, you know, all the water and suds and shit. Uh, that's an inventive way to put it, but, uh, yeah, the accommodations were nice. Are we all ready to explore these facilities? You mean with, uh, Monster Hans and Franz? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing more Frankensteiny and fucked up shit. After what we saw yesterday, I'm assuming we can expect to see some interesting things. That must be our escorts. Are you ready to depart? Yes, I believe we are. Then follow us! The men did as the monstrous beasts asked, trailing behind them. The sky barked above, but Wesley barely noticed the thunder anymore. It had become background noise, like the din of bugs or the chirp of morning birds. The billowing clouds cast shadows upon the city, black behemoths slowly crawling across streets, buildings, and houses. As they went, the city started to change. Before, it maintained the appearance of a metropolis, despite the exotic bioengineering. But as they proceeded, the metropolitan facade began to fade, and the true face of Destra emerged. Massive towers jutted into the rumbling clouds, the lightning feeding various conductors wrapping around the buildings. Giant organic appendages stretched between facilities like wires of muscle, conducting electrical impulses between structures. Things, machine and biological, engaged in strange acts of industry all around, their particular function beyond Wesley's imagination. The two Chimerith walked through it all with little care, singular in their purpose. Eventually, they all arrived at an enormous pyramidal structure with massive statues serving as pillars, the visage of various Belphine carved into the stone relief, no doubt. 
The front of the building sported strange triangular windows through which Wesley could see ornamental lanterns or chandeliers dangling from the ceiling. The rest of the structure was composed of dark stone, writing carved all across its face. As they walked up the steps, a woman exited the strange building and greeted them. Greetings, gentlemen. I'm pleased to make your acquaintances. I'm Safra. Welcome to the Sacrum Athenium. I'd be happy to show you the archives. Come with me. The woman wore a mask on the top half of her face, her eyes beaming a bright cobalt. Blonde hair draped down from her scalp, lazily hanging over her shoulders. Like many others, she wore a long cloak, underneath which toiled a myriad of biomechanical appendages. The alabaster of her skin was covered with glowing blue tattoos, and her arms were sheathed in sleek black metal. She glanced at the two colossal beasts that had escorted them there. Stay here until they return. The two amalgam things simply nodded and stood sentinel, their eyes beaming somewhere beyond the storm. Sephra turned and opened the large stone doors, which she did with surprising ease. The inside was opulent. The ceiling had been carved into wonderfully hewn sculptures, seamless waves of figures and faces that protruded from the pearly marble. Strange light fixtures hung from above, casting soft and comforting pools of amber upon the floor. Tables and chairs punctuated the place, all ornate, all chiseled and crafted with the utmost care. Again, despite the Baroque nature of the architecture and furnishings, there was a coldness to it all, as if it was all arithmetical. The place was filled with hulking shelves stuffed with books and aging tomes. Wesley could see Vorn's eyes grow wide, his mind most likely racing at the thought of all the knowledge he could gain, all the empty books he could fill with ink. There were other Belfine there, sauntering down the aisles, their multiple cybernetic limbs plucking books like they were robin's eggs from their nests. There were so many questions that Wesley had. How did their economy work? What did these people do for work? Was there a caste system of some sort? Wesley supposed his anthropological queries would have to wait. One thing at a time, he told himself. Here you will find our main archives, histories, geographies, cultural studies, literature, etc. If you wish to familiarize yourself with Gion, this would be the place to do it. However, our books are all in the native languages of Gion. I'm unsure how you'd... I am well versed in various transcription methods. May I translate some of your books into my journals here? I don't see why there would be a problem with that. Sephra gestured to a man draped in robes, his face an amalgam of flesh and robotics. He almost glided over, the sound of chitinous digits scurrying over as if he were being carried upon an army of legs. This is Merrick. He's one of the curators here, and he can guide you to whatever you might be interested in. That would be much appreciated. Gentlemen, do you mind? If possible, I'd like to stay here and translate some of these books. Perhaps, finally, we could learn a bit more about this place. I'll catch up later. Uh, sure, I guess. How will you... I can have Damius escort him back to the house. Arcos will accompany you to the Manifactorium. That sounds good to me. But the Gloral said there were records of your people here too, yes? What parts of our history we wish to divulge are on the main floor. However, there are floors beneath us that hold more privileged information. Those are off limits, I'm afraid. Ah, I see. Well... I'm sure Vaughn here will regale us with his findings when he returns. It seems we've been in the dark for so long. It'll be nice to shine a light on things for once. Indeed. I'm sure it has been quite the tribulation. I hope you perusing our records will help clarify your situation. I'm sure it will. 
Moffat looked at the rest of us, somewhat jovial, then clapped his hands. Are we ready to go to our next stop on our field trip? If you are ready, Arcos will bring you to the Manifactorium. The group nodded and thanked Sephra for her assistance. The woman reciprocated, her lips pursed in what Wesley could only construe as the hint of a smile. She escorted them outside, where Arcos and Damius stood stolid, rain pouring off them like the cliff face of a bluff. Arcos, please escort our friends here to the Manifactorium. Damius, you will return Mr. Gall to his domicile once he finishes here. The two nodded, their eyes boring into the three. Arcos began to walk forward and gestured toward the men. Follow me. The men did as they were bid, following the Goliath down several winding lanes, spying collections of scientific oddities as they went. After passing a menagerie of sleek buildings, each host to a chimera of robotics and creeping organics, they fell beneath the shadow of a cathedral-like structure. There were religious overtones to the place, the way it was isolated from other establishments, the iconography bedecking its windows and walls, the way it loomed in the judgment of all that passed it. But like everything else they'd seen, there was a calculus to its construction, an intended frigidness to its geometry. It was the worship of computation, the reverence of cold intellectualism. Like their creations, it was a grand conflation of dueling philosophical paradigms, theism and scientism. Aesthetically, the place resembled a house of worship, belfries, buttresses, domes, a sense of sacredness and self-importance. Simultaneously, it possessed the sterility of a research lab, sharp angles, minimalistic architecture in places, and white smooth surfaces. The entrance was a large set of frosted glass double doors. Upon approach, Arco spoke up. Inside you will be greeted by Overseer Arvandus. He will guide you on your tour of the facilities. I will be waiting until you are done. Th uh, thank you. The thing ignored Wesley's gratitude and assumed the demeanor of a stone. The men walked to the entrance and the doors automatically opened. Crossing the threshold, Wesley was immediately assaulted by the fragrance of chemicals, the perfume of reagents, formaldehyde, and stainless dyes. A fluorescent depression haunted the entranceway, the kind of oppressive luminescence that reflects off the snow on a bright winter day. From the shadowy throat of one of the hallways, a figure emerged. It was a slender-looking man, wearing a long gray coat, unabashedly displaying an array of mechanical limbs and accoutrements that whirred and clicked around him. An ornate metal mask covered his mouth and nose, a strange monocle over his left eye. The man's head was hidden by a drab hood, small locks of hair creeping out from the sides. He had a crack for a smile, a thin line that snaked across his face. His eyes fixed on the men, a wintry gaze settling upon them. Greetings, gentlemen. I'm Arvandus. I'm one of the lead bioengineers here. I've been told to show you around the Manifactorium, give you an idea of our sciences. Yes, uh, thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Please follow me. The man's many appendages lifted him like a spider, carrying him down the hallway. The troop closely followed, their clacking boots and shoes echoing eerily down the hallway. Eventually, they came upon a door where a metallic tendril slithered out of the wall and attached to the man's eye. There was a flash and a brief hum, and then a pair of pressurized doors opened. The man looked back. Come. Crossing the threshold, the landscape suddenly changed. Where the lobby held the drab veneer of a doctor's office waiting room, the labs exuded a kind of sacrosanct spirit, a numinous character. 
The lab doors were large and flourished with strange ornate metalwork, as if they were portals to a holy reliquary. Windows in the shape of unreadable glyphs were on each door. He peeked inside as he went. He could see one of the scorched children strapped to a table, alive, as various machines poked and prodded, her demonic eyes darting around like a frightened animal. Another room housed a creature similar to what they saw in Misereth, tubes and IVs carrying its bodily fluids into some kind of organic pump, which then shunted them into a transparent container. Wesley was starting to feel sick from the horrors he saw. Granted, these things, these subjects, were incarnations of evil, semblances of the world's worst inclinations rolled into flesh and blood. But their usage for science was an abomination, a recapitulation of the terrors of World War II and the Nazi experiments. No matter how evil the things were, they didn't deserve this. The group continued through a labyrinth of hallways, each populated with more doors and hideous experiments. Eventually, they came upon another sizable hydraulic door to which Arvandus offered his hand. Another scan. The door opened with a hiss, ghosts of steam escaping like trapped prisoners from a jail cell. They entered cautiously, the sound of beeping machines and palpitating biologies crowding the room. As they stepped in, Wesley's jaw yawned open at the sight floating in front of him. Before them, in a massive tube filled with greenish liquid, was an entity of monstrous proportions. It was a chimerith. Its body was a conglomerate of dread. Muscle, honed metallic horns, a snake pit of barbed tentacles, all growing as if they were endemic to its biology. The thing was covered in wires and tubes that transferred innumerable chemicals into its bulk. Perhaps the most interesting aspect was the large cable attached to the back of its skull, the other end of which was attached to the temple of a belfine. The man seemed to be concentrating, his eyes beneath his lids rushing. Decorating the room were vials and vials of unknown chemicals, generators humming with strange energies, glowing sigils festooning the walls and ceiling, pulsating with a dreadful cadence. As you can see, each Chimerith is unique, partaking of a variety of lethal attributes. And this is all done with, uh, what did you call it, Moffat, uh, bioetherics? Among other things, yes. Not going to tell us what's in the secret sauce, eh? I'm not quite sure I catch your meaning. It's just saying, I, it's... Uh, never mind. The scene was a scientific marvel in a grotesque display of science gone wrong. But as Wesley listened to Arvandus explain some of the beast's physiology, he noticed Moffat quietly off to the side, perusing the vials of chemicals, his lantern out, casting dancing shadows upon the wall. He thought he saw something in the silhouettes, a quicksilver of coherence. But then it was gone, and he returned to the floating abomination. After they concluded their tour of the facilities and the experimental atrocities contained therein, Arvandus brought them back to the lobby. I hope your tour was informative. Perhaps we could go over more in the future. Of course. Uh, we'd like that. The cold man flashed another half-smile and then slowly slipped back into the shadows of the darkened hallway. The group, accustomed to the protocol at this point, went outside where Arcos waited with the patience of a stone. From there, they followed the towering thing back to their lodgings, at which point the beast lumbered into the storm. Wesley, Salvatore, and Moffat entered the house to the greeting of their strange servants. They collected in the living room and waited for Vorin. Moffat suddenly lifted from his cushy seat and walked towards the kitchen. Where are you going? I need a drink. They have something in there that tastes like a rosé. 
I'd prefer a Chardonnay, but beggars can't be choosers. Hey, would you mind bringing me one too? Certainly. Dr. Morgan. Sure. I need something to take the edge off. Moffat sauntered off into the other room, the sound of clattering bottles and glasses whispering in. When he emerged, he had three goblets in his hand, demonstrating the learned dexterity of a snooty aristocrat. Here we are. Let's draw our worries, shall we? Now toast to that. The triad clicked their glasses together and tried to enjoy the moment. About an hour later, the front door creaked open and Vorn strutted in. His messenger bag bloated with newly filled books. Thank Christ! We thought you might not come back. I'm perfectly fine, but I do desperately want to get to reading these, so if you'll excuse me. Like a giddy child, Vorn scurried up the stairs and entered his room. He was no doubt nose deep in a book within minutes. The three talked a while and finished their drinks, the alcohol eventually coercing them to their bedrooms. It didn't take long for them to fall asleep, the rumbling of the store outside lulling them into slumber. Salvatore suddenly sat up from his bed. He thought he heard a noise, a subtle whirring coming from the surrounding blackness. He panned around but didn't see anything. Fucking place. He lingered momentarily, his eyes straining to puncture the blackness, and then laid back down. He was about to enter sleep for a second time when he heard the sound again, a kind of mechanical snapping. What the fuck is... The symbols carved into the floor suddenly glowed, casting a maroon light across the room. The sound of metallic tendrils whipping sang down from the ceiling, wrapping around Salvatore's mouth, instantly silencing him. He tried to resist, but more appendages clutched his body, rendering him still. They squeezed like pythons, and just as the room was about to go all black, he saw the face of Alaric hovering over him. Fear not, my friend, for you are being given the chance to become a wonder never seen. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythologies, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 